Happy New Year to you all, as this time last week we were in Texas, and we were worshiping with a body of believers there, and I got to tell you, when we got in the car, uh, I looked over to Ember, and she said, that was great, but I miss PVC. And I said, I can't agree anymore, babe. We missed you guys, but we are so grateful that God has brought us back here. You know, when God's called you to a work, it's always good to go back where you were raised, but it's with great glee that we come back because this is the work God has called us to. These are our people. You're our people, and we're excited for all that God has for us in 2023. And by the way, what a, what a great job David did last week for us. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> he led us through Joshua 1 and helped us see the strength that uh, one can attain as a, as a child of God as we navigate the year ahead. If you have your Bible, First uh, Peter chapter 5, the verses that were read in your hearing, and today we began a two-part journey looking at church structure. How should the church be structured? How should we as a body, uh, what should it look like if we're going to be faithful to what the Scripture says a body should be and a body should do? So we got a lot of work to do, friends. Let's pray together. Let's ask God for help. Lord God, what a joy it is to be back here in this place. Lord, I love this church. I love my brothers and my sisters and any guests that might be here, whether they're watching online or they're here in the building, Lord, I'm just grateful that you have blessed me with the opportunity to serve as an elder here alongside my brothers as we seek to lead this body in a way that would demonstrate sacrificial service to this body. And Lord, we ask now as we look at your word that We've read it, we've seen it on the screen, maybe in our Bible page, but Lord, we have, we have a heart that, that has eyes as well, and so I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart as we see your word today, that we would be struck, that we would be afflicted where we need to be afflicted. For those of us who maybe have grown comfortable, Lord, I pray that your word by your spirit as it's preached would, would put new wind in our spiritual cells. And then God, for those who are afflicted right now, I think about some in our midst who are physically afflicted or emotionally afflicted or spiritually afflicted. I pray that your word being preached or the power of your spirit would be like balm to uh, a, 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 a wound that, that is hurting this morning. So God, I love you and I am grateful for this opportunity to preach your word May your word grow us, change us, may it abide in us, and may we as a people leave here and be able to say, we didn't hear from Jordan, but we heard from God. Oh, we need to hear from you, Lord. Would you take a moment right now and just say, Lord, help me receive today what you want me to hear. Give me a laser-like focus upon the truth of the Word of God. Help me to feed upon this Word. Jesus, you told us that we cannot live by bread alone, but we must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, and we're grateful that you've 
canvas that word in Holy Scripture. So be with us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many times have you heard it said, I love Jesus, but I just don't love his church? I can't tell you how many times I've either overheard someone say that, I've read it somewhere, I've seen it posted about on social media, or someone has directly said to me, Jordan, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. And they go on to tell you why. Well, let me tell this to you. Let me be very very clear to you up front. To have that mindset is one of the most absolutely misinformed, misguided statements that any human being could ever have the mistake of ever uttering. Have I made myself clear? The idea that somebody could admire Jesus, profess to worship Jesus, somehow say they love Jesus, and yet want nothing to do with the local church is an anathema. It is a, 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 a preposterous idea if you really read the Bible. I'm thoroughly convinced that many who would come to that conclusion that I'm sure you have met and maybe you have engaged with, I'm quite convinced that they know little or maybe anything about the Jesus they say that they admire. Because they have conveniently forgotten that Jesus said in Matthew 16 that I will build my church and the powers of Hades and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Furthermore, they have conveniently forgotten the fact that following Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, it was on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when he sent the Holy Spirit and inaugurated this thing we call the church and built the body of Christ. They conveniently have forgotten that in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians that Paul said that Jesus is the head of the church. Furthermore, this Jesus that they say they admire, that they say they love, that they say that they think is a great leader, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that Jesus had such passion and such love for his church that he gave himself up for her so that he could sanctify her by the washing of the word so that he could present to himself a church that was holy and without spot or wrinkle. And Revelation 19, Jesus made it very clear that one day there's going to be a wedding ceremony and we're going to be, we're going to wed and we're going to come with Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19. And so I hope that if you have the conclusion that you can love Jesus and not love his church, don't give me that silly hyper-spiritual, superficial baloney that says that you can love, that you can admire, that you can profess to worship Jesus and yet live in disdain toward his church. Jesus won't let you do it. He won't let you get away with it if you're watching online and you think somehow that, that this is what it's supposed to be. 
Somehow that you can say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. It's not an option he permits. To love Jesus is to love his church. To not love his church is to also say, I don't love Jesus. They are inextricably the same and in union together. Now, that doesn't mean the church is perfect. If you think the church is perfect, then you're worse off than the people who think you can love Jesus and not love the church. But if you're here today, Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've been visiting for a long time, and you're thinking, well, you know, I think I may join or look to join Pleasant Valley Church one day because it appears to be a pretty perfect church. Well, join us. You'll be very mistaken because we have a lot of flaws. We have a, a lot of things that we're working on and that we are committed under the authority of the Word of God and by the Spirit of God to correct and to get in place and to help this church be everything that God intended her to be. Friends, we're far from perfect here at PVC. Amen? We're far from having it all together, but we are committed to progressing in the biblical ideal of a church. Now, I know in a group like this, I know some of you in this room have been hurt severely by the church. Maybe not this church, maybe this church. Maybe some other church. And you were hurt severely. And you saw the inadequacies of fallen men. You saw the greed of people. You saw whatever it might have been. And I, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry that you got hurt by the church. I hate that for you. And, and I want to help you. And we want to help you nurse back to health where you can see the church is, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That, that the church is still the church, and the church still belongs to Jesus Christ. And with all of her flaws, and all of her inconsistencies, and all of her mess, and all of her jacked-upness, she's still the church. Sometimes she's not as pretty as you want her to be, but she's still the church. She's still the very ones who Jesus shed his blood for. So it is not a legitimate excuse, nor is it a biblical excuse for you to say, the church hurt me, therefore I don't need the church. That is a wrong conclusion. It's not biblically founded, and you ought to repent, and you ought to come under the authority of the word of God. I don't discredit the fact that it hurt, and I'd love to talk to you about that, and pray with you, and work through that, but friend, you you cannot hang on the fact that you got hurt somewhere else that that's going to happen every time. There's no such thing, notice on the screen, as churchless Christianity. Any more than there's something called Christless Christianity. To be a Christian in the Bible and to belong to a church was one and the same. To believe and love Jesus, watch this, is to live, is to live habitually as a supporter, as a member, as a lover, and as an active participant in the life of a local body of baptized believers in Jesus Christ. See, my love for the church and my passion for the church exists because I love Jesus and I'm passionate about Jesus. I can't love Jesus and not love his church. I can't love Jesus and not love the universal body of Christ. And friends, I can't love Jesus and not love the local expression that I'm a part of here called PVC. So I'm so passionate about texts like 1 Peter 5. And I know the temptation this morning, because it was my temptation when I was a very young man, 
sitting in a church in Collinsville, Texas. When I would hear sermons like this, and we would talk about elders and pastors and deacons, in my mind I thought, well, I don't aspire to be an elder. I don't ever see that that's in my future. Uh, so therefore, I can sort of think about what's going to be for lunch. You know, are the Cowboys going to win? Uh, what are we going to have for, uh, you know, whatever? And begin to just check out and say, I don't have to listen to that because it doesn't really apply to me. I urge you not to do that. Because if this text is talking about those who pastor the church, then it, almost, then it must also be talking about those who are pastored in the church. If this is talking about those who lead the church, then this is also embedded in it for you who are following the leaders of this church. If Peter tells elders here to pastor, then it has much to say about you as a sheep who are being pastored. In fact, twice here in the text, Peter mentions the flock of God, the sheep, the people of God, and he says the people of God are under the charge of the elders. Now, you see, church structure matters. Church government matters. Church polity matters. The way we do things and how we do things and how we don't do things they matter because this is not our church, all right? This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I don't get to make up the rules. You don't get to make up the rules. We come under the submission of Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who lives for us. He's the one who is interceding right now in heaven, the right hand of the Father, on behalf of us, alongside the Holy Spirit. So we don't get to make this stuff up. We simply say, yes, Lord, we obey. So it matters. It matters to Jesus. It matters to the Apostle Paul all over the New Testament. And it matters to the Apostle Peter here. We're not talking about the governmental structure of the Rotary Club, okay? We're not talking about the governmental structure of the Republican or Democratic Party of Cuyahoga County. We're not talking about the tennis club or the golf club or whatever other club you might want to be, the crochet club. I don't know what your clubs are whatever club you're in. We're not talking about how that is structured. We are talking uh, not even about a parachurch ministry that exists to come alongside. We're not even talking about that. We are talking about the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ for which he shed his blood for us. No, church government is not the most important issue, but just because it is not the most important issue, it does not make it an unimportant issue. It's a very important issue. So I want you to notice 1 Peter 5, 1-4, and we want to look at this text and approach it in two ways. Number one, we want to look at who are the elders and what do they do? Who are the elders and what do they do? And second of all, how are they to do it? Not just who they are and what they do, but really and more importantly, how should they be doing it? Notice verse one. If you're there, would you say amen? So, or therefore, some of your translations say therefore, or so, I exhort, I encourage the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That little word so is so very important. That word therefore, if you have it there, good Bible students will always say what is therefore, therefore, right? And so, Somehow, what Peter is saying in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, is connected to what he said in chapter 4. What did he say in chapter 4? I'm glad you asked. In chapter 4, he is talking about persecution and, and what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ. 
They, the, the book of 1 Peter is addressed to a cluster of churches that were underneath the nose of a Roman emperor, and that Roman emperor is turning the heat up on the church for their lack of following Caesar as Lord, and for them saying, no, there's another king, and Jesus is Lord, and we will not submit to your overreach, and we will submit to King Jesus. We will not submit to Caesar as Lord. And so there is great hostility being brought upon these cluster of churches. Not right into one church. Peter's writing to a bunch of churches who are who have been spread out due to the persecution. They were, a lot of them were together. Persecution came, they spread out, they gathered together, and he's writing to the elders at these individual churches that are part of, of the diaspora are part of the spreading out who are under the persecution of the government. And he says, elders, I'm writing to you as a fellow elder, and I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you to shepherd the flock that is among you. Now, every local church is a unique flock. Did you know this church is unique? Did you know every church you've ever been a part of is unique because of the people that are there, because of the past, because of the future, because of the leadership? There's a lot of things that make a congregation very unique. This is the fourth church I've had the joy of shepherding, and every church is very, very, very unique at different levels spiritually, at different levels characteristically, uh, different flavors here and there. And so Peter wants these, and I would say this, even these churches that he's writing to that are geographically pretty much in the same location but spread out, every one of those churches is still unique, even though a lot of them used to worship together and now they're spread out, because every local body is very, very unique. And don't, don't miss this, what Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, elders, shepherd that flock that is among you. In other words... Don't seek to pastor who they should be. Don't seek to pastor who they were. Seek to shepherd them live, where they are at right now. Shepherd them right now. Shepherd them here. See, a lot of pastors, I'm going to tell you this, and I can say this because a lot of my, my colleagues, sometimes we, we, be, we want to pastor the church as she should be and not love her where she is. And Peter says, love this flock, love your flock, shepherd, where, where you've been put right now. And, and where, have you, where have you been put? Well, you need to know their needs, you need to know what they're going through. See, one of the things about being a shepherd is you must know the sheep. You cannot shepherd who you don't know. Uh, we, we are not ranchers as shepherds. We don't cattle, cattle, we don't herd cattle around. You get in there, you get in there, you get in there. No, shepherding is much more personal. Shepherding is much more understanding of where a person is and where they have been and seeking to get them to the biblical ideal. And Peter says, let me tell you, this flocks are yours, elders, watch this now, by stewardship, not ownership. Stewardship not ownership. Elders don't own the church, they steward the church. Church always belongs to Jesus. Jesus is not giving his church to elders to own them, he's giving churches to elders to steward them, to lead them. I want to tell you this, church, on a personal note, I have so enjoyed getting to know you all. So enjoyed understanding a little bit about who you are. Every good shepherd will smell like the sheep. I want to smell like you. <laughs> I want to understand you. 
what God is doing in your life, your character, where he's had you, where he's taking you. Because to effectively shepherd you, I must know you. If I don't know you, I can't shepherd you. Now, our other two elders, David and Doug, they're way ahead of me on knowing you, right? Way ahead of you, way ahead of me on knowing you. So I lean on them a lot as we get to know. And, but at the end of the day, my, my goal is in, in 2023 is to really get to know you even more so that I can do this alongside them, shepherd that is among you. Now, when I read the New Testament, what is very clear to me is that all local churches were governed by a team of elders, governed by a plurality of elders. There's nothing in the New Testament, watch this now, there's nothing in the New Testament that indicates that any of the churches in the New Testament had one single elder who had absolute authority over everything that happened in that body. And everything stopped or started with him. You see that nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere. What you see is a team of God-called, God-qualified, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, who are a team together, and they are shepherding, they are leading the body together. And that's the case here. Just to ensure you're all aware, I'm one of three, so that means I get one vote in the elder meeting. We have an elder meeting today. I get one vote in there. I can be outvoted because it is a team effort. It is a team effort. There's things I feel really passionate about sometimes I bring to the table and all the other men. But at the end of the day, it is a joint team effort. And there are times where one elder feels really passionate about something, and sometimes the other elders give deference to that and say, you know, I see it. Uh, it's not biblically wrong. It's a preference. And, and, and let's do it. And, and, and I, I can, I, for the sake of unity, let's do it. And that, that happens sometimes. And sometimes it turns out really good. Sometimes it turns out bad. Just be honest with you. But the reality is the goal is for a united team effort. And the reason we do this is because it's the pattern in the New Testament. Again, we don't make up the rules. Amen? We just seek to follow them. And the New Testament talks extensively about elders. Let me show you one text, a uh, number of them. But first of all, Acts 14, 23. He, and when they, that's Paul and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders, installed them in some churches. Is that what it says? Every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, further passages, I want you to write these down. Um, these are further passages concerning elders. This, this is not even the Old Testament where elders really finds its fruition. Remember when Moses was having a hard time and he was giving all that counsel to all those people? Remember his, his, his father-in-law Jethro, very wise man, said, Moses, you can't handle this. Bro, you can't handle this. You, you, like, you're good, but you're not that good. You're, you're wise, but you're not that wise. You're, 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 this is why a team of elders is good, too, because there's areas that I'm not as strong in that David might be or Doug might be, and we complement each other. But remember Moses said, listen, you've got to get some other people and raise them up to do some of this counseling, and, and you go to 100 and the 50. Remember that? That's really where elders find their root and then you see it all the way up until the New Testament church. But in these passages, you'll, you'll, you'll see Acts 20.17, Ephesians 4.11, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3.1, 1, 1 Timothy 5.17, Titus 1.5, James 5.14. In these passages, you'll see four terms, depending on your translation. You'll see the term pastor, it's Ephesians 4.11. You'll see overseer, it's the Philippians 1 passage. You'll see elder, depending on your translation, you'll see bishop. So four, four, four titles, watch this now, one office. Four titles, one office. So that means elders or pastors 
Pastors are overseers and overseers are bishops. So when you, when you think about a church that has structure outside of it that, that's telling it what to do, it's not biblical, all right? It's bibli- what's biblical is that every church is an autonomous body of believers under the leadership of one office, elder, bishop, overseer, pastor. And those men together, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, it's not, ladies, I love you, but the office of elders is there for men, all right? And, and the reason that is so is we can go in for a different time, um, but r- the reality is, is these men whom God raises up are one office. Now, let me show it to you. Look, notice Acts 20, verse 17 on the screen. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Now, that, that word is presbyteros. Say that with me, presbyteros. Try it again, presbyteros. It's Greek, and that's the word, actually, we get the word Presbyterian from it. So our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, they build their whole church on this idea of the Presbyteros, the the Presbyter. So notice that title, overseer, I'm I'm sorry, elder for the church, of the church to come to him. So notice, Paul says, go get the Presbyteros, go get the elders and tell them to come here. Because Paul planted this church, he's getting ready to leave and not ever see him again. Notice verse 28, he says to the elders, just before they weep and he leaves, and it's a really tearful moment in salvific history. It's beautiful, you should read it. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. That's the Greek word, episkopos. Would you say episkopos? I hope you hear episcopal in there. You hear that? Episcopal? The episcopal denomination gets their marching orders in many ways from the, as far as governing structure, from the episcopos, from what he says here. So notice their elder, go get the elders, and then he calls them overseers, episcopos, and then he has another title, to shepherd, poimenon. I want to ask you to say it because I think you're tired of doing that. But if you look at Ephesians 4.11, you will see the Greek word for pastor is poimen, P-O-I-M-E-N. That's a noun. In fact, it's the only time in the New Testament you see the word pastor used as a noun. All the other times it's used as a verb, as it is here, as it is in Peter, 1 Peter. Poimenon, that's to shepherd. That's the act of pastoring, the act of, of, of shepherding people. Notice the church of God. So you see the titles there? You have elders, you have overseers, you have pastors. Now, some of your translations may use the word bishop there, uh, so don't be alarmed if you see that. But again, depending on your translation, depending on your understanding, four titles, one office. So elders are pastors, and pastors are overseers, and overseers are bishops. So I would love for you to just start calling Doug Bishop Doug. <laughs> or Overseer David. No, I'm just kidding. But you've you really got to get the gravity of this. These terms refer to one office. Now notice chapter, back in our anchor text, First Peter Four, or I'm sorry, 5, verse 2. Notice 1 Peter 5, shepherd. Again, here's the term, poimenon. It's not a noun, it's a verb. It's the verb form of the office of pastor. So pastor's pastor, shepherds, shepherds. What do you say? Shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that God has given you. So my conclusion as I read the New Testament is a local church should be managed by individuals, by men who under the New Testament are called a number of terms. They're either called pastors, they're called elders, they're called bishops, they're called overseers. Sometimes when someone comes into a church and they say, man, that elder up there, he sounded like a pastor. Well, it's because he is one. 
It's because he is one. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is a bishop. A bishop is an overseer. So what do elders do? What do shepherds do? What do shepherd elders do? Well, number one, they feed the flock. They feed the flock. If you're not fed the Word of God, you'll starve to death spiritually. You'll starve. Anybody who comes in this pulpit and does not feed you the Word of God should be fired. Amen. Amen? Should be fired. Or at least be disciplined, right? We want to give grace. (laughs) But at the end of the day, if he keeps it up, we got to let him go. Because he's got to feed the flock. It's number one. Number two, protect the flock with God's word. Protect the flock. You know, John Calvin said that a a pastor has two tongues, a tongue to encourage the sheep and a tongue to drive away the wolves, a tongue that simultaneously feeds the people of God but drives away those who want to hurt the people of God. You protect the sheep with the word of God. Third of all, you lead the flock in God's Word. That's what we're doing today, trying to show you that the reason we do what we do is we want to lead the church to be underneath the authority of the Word of God. Lead the flock in God's Word. And fourth of all, care for the flock. This is the shepherding part. This is the knowing you part. This is the walk. This is the crying with you. This is the bleeding with you. This is getting to, be, to smell like you. All those things, it is to care for the flock. But you do it from God's word. That's why this idea of shepherding, someone comes and they're broken, they're hurt, or they're in sin, we're going we're gonna to say, well, brother, sister, this is what the word of God says. Here's the book, here's the chapter, here's the verse, here's the context. And I'm just calling you on behalf of Jesus to submit to this. Sometimes sheep say, I don't care what you say, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or others, they say, thank you. But that's always the intent, is to care for the flock from God's word. So that's who they are. That's what they do. Now the second part, and really more importantly, is how do they do it? Well, Peter's very clear. Three, three things here. Number one, don't do it for persons. Don't do it for persons. Notice, don't do it under compulsion. So don't shepherd the flock, elder the flock, oversee the flock, bishop the flock. Don't do it under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. No one should ever aspire to the office of elder because they're being pressured from themselves. That would be one person from a desire that says, well, you know, nobody else is going to do it. I guess I'll do it. No one else is going to serve. I'll step up. That's never the right intent to serve as an elder. It's also not the right intent to let other people say, you know what? You really would make a good elder. Why don't you do it? You know, in the business world, you used to do X and Y and Z. Therefore, those principles might work here. Can I tell you, some, some principles in the business world in corporate America will kill a church. It will. Now, some, some, some principles from the business world will edify and build up a church. Amen? But at the end of the day, the reason you serve is not because someone's pressuring you from the outside and not because you are feeling pressure from yourself to step up. But, but really, the, the, the idea is 1 Timothy 3.1. Notice, write this in your margin. He says... Uh, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, bishop, he desires a noble task. It's good to want to be an elder. Did you know that? It's good to want to be an elder. You just have to make sure the want to is God making you want to. You have to really sift through that and really pray through that and really fast through that 
It is a spirit-driven desire to serve as an elder. The want to is put in you by God, and He's making you want to. I want to tell you this very, per- very, very candidly, that outside of, of being Ember's husband and being Eden and Theophilus' daddy, this is what God has left me here to do. Until Jesus comes, God has called me to manage, shepherd, govern, bishop, oversee, lead, and love the church, the local church, the people of God. There's a desire. I get up every day and think about you. I get up every day and think about pastoring. I get up every day and think about these things because this is the burning and the passion of my heart. It happened when I was 19 years old, and it's never left. I would say it's only getting hotter because this is the desire, and this is what he means here. It doesn't mean there's not hard days. It doesn't mean there's not days where you want to knock your head against the wall and say, am I even making a difference? Is anything even happening? But it just means at the end of the day, those days, they don't define the task. What defines the task is I have a calling from God that says, Lord, get up, get your big boy pants on, and go love them in Jesus' name. Friends, if anyone aspires to the office of the overseer, it's a noble task. So Peter says, don't do it out of compulsion. In fact, the related word here in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, uh, when we're talking about giving, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Not under compulsion, same Greek word. Not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, don't serve under compulsion but serve joyfully and willingly. We could say this, God loves a cheerful elder. He loves a cheerful elder. He loves the elder. He says, I love the task. I feel called to do the task. I don't feel like I, 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 I always meet like I should, but, I, I, but that's humility, right? right? But at the same time, I, I sense God's call. Let me show you another passage that emphasizes this. Um, I have to tell you, this text provides me the most frightening job description I've ever read in my life. It ought to cause those of us who've been raised up to serve in this capacity to tremble. The author of Hebrews says, first he addresses the people of God, Hebrews 13. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. Now folks, that causes me to lose my breath. The idea that that I, alongside Doug and David, have been charged by the Spirit of God to watch your soul? To provide soul care? As those who will give an account, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. One day I will stand before Jesus and give an account for the leadership I provided this body of believers. And he says, let them do it with joy. Not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. It wouldn't be an advantage to them. And if you have an elder that doesn't want to be an elder, but it is an elder, that would be awful for everybody, right? It would, it would be of no advantage to anybody for people serving in this office who have no desire to serve, don't meet the qualifications to serve, and aren't called to serve. Do you see the interplay here? Obey the elders, the leaders, submit to them. Why? Because God's going to hold them accountable. And he says, do it with joy. If you do this joylessly, griping and complaining, oh, another elder meeting, oh, this, oh, that, that is of no advantage to anybody. And this is what he's saying here. There's joy in serving. If, 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 if you stumble or fail, church, in your walk with God, it better be in spite of what the elders are doing. If you're not growing up in Jesus, just if you're not growing up in Jesus and it's because of the leadership of the church, then just know we're going to give an account to God. 
okay? Just know that we're going to be accountable to God for the leadership that we gave, that we will have a final job description, that we will stand before Jesus naked. Nobody will be there but us and Him, and we will give an account, a final job description of did we measure up to this standard? Friends, this is huge. So we're, we're charged by God as elders to not do it for persons, for people. So the first charge is that. Second of all, don't do it for profit. Don't do it for profit. Not for shameful gain. The old King James says, for filthy lucre. I love that. Don't do it for filthy lucre. Don't do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, don't be an elder for the money. Don't do it because you think you'll have earthly riches. Don't do it for the reason Judas Iscariot said, I'll be the treasurer for the apostles, so that he could pilfer with it and use it for his own agenda. Now, as you know, David and, and Doug, they don't get a salary from the church. We would call them lay elders. We do have an elder that does get a salary from the church. His name is Jordan Johnson, to which I am grateful that you all uh, um, are so gracious to provide for me and my family. So we would call that a staff elder. A staff elder, you have lay elders. Same authority, same office, same governance, same structure. Uh, he is not saying here that elders should not be paid. The Apostle Paul says that in, in multiple texts. But what Peter is saying here is they should never do it for money. They never do it for the perks that come. They never do it so they can get, make money and not have to do much, so that they can uh, just, you know, pad their life and live as easy as they possibly can. I'll just be honest with you. Some men who serve as elders are just lazy. Thankfully, Doug and David are not that. Some elders are just lazy. They don't want to work hard. I'm not talking about being imbalanced. I'm not talking about ne neglecting your wife and neglecting your family and not shepherding your own home. But I'm just simply saying some want to be elders, want to be pastors because of the perks that come with it, not because of the people that they serve. Third of all, don't do it for power. Don't do it for persons. Don't do it for profit and don't do it for power. Notice, not domineering over those in your charge. Elders are not to be driven by the love of power in order that they can lord it over others, always insisting on their way, always demanding that others serve them rather than the servants of the flock. You know, when we shepherd, we want to ask questions. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Ultimately, the buck stops with the authority God has placed. At the end of the day, we, we want to know, what do people think? How's God leading you? And that we can manage and shepherd in a way that people know their value, know their love, but at the end of the day, we have an account to God, so He calls upon us to make the final decision. One who aspires to the office because he likes to boss people around. Some people get a thrill out of telling people what to do. Some people get a rush out of being in charge. Some people get a jolt from being the top dog. But I want you to think about what Jesus did in John 13. Remember when Jesus is with the disciples and he has just talked to the Father about that position that he had with him, uh, living uh, next to the throne in glory. And, and James and John are over here arguing about who's going to be first in the kingdom. And in fact, the Bible says James, mama, James and John's mom got involved as well and said, will you give my boys authority when you get into your kingdom? And remember what Jesus did? My God. He took off a towel, wrapped it around his waist, got down on his knees, and cleaned their filthy feet. That's what leaders Someone that is leading should be the top servant. Jesus said this, Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your, though you sleep, servant. 
The greatest among you will be your servant. Unfortunately, when you think of shepherds in the local church, uh, you've known those who are opposite of this. They come in all different styles, all different dress, all different hairstyles, uh, but they all want to do the same thing. They want to dominate. They want to domineer. Some of them are just loud, intimidating bullies. You can see them from a mile away. That's how they are, just loud, intimidating bullies. Others are quiet and they're manipulative. They kind of do things under the table. Others have their head buried in the sand. They're lazy. They don't want to do the work. They just want the title. And then others are like slick politicians. Big promises, no results. Peter says, here's what should motivate you, elders. This is what should motivate you. Notice, be examples to the flock. Examples. Examples of self-sacrifice. Examples of humility. Examples of love for God. Examples of passionate worship. Examples of generous and giving. Examples of, of loving our wives and laying our lives down for them and serving them and our families. And that we would be an example and being stubborn to obey everything that the Word of God says that we should be and that we should do. This is how the leaders of the body of Christ are to serve. Pleasant Valley Church, this is a very tall task. It's a very tall task. We need your prayer. An old deacon used to tell me, he would say, I, you need the prayer and I need the practice. And friends, it's true in this regard. We need your prayer. This is a very tall task. I get up every day thinking about this reality of, of, of serving in this capacity. And this is one reason that we take membership so seriously here. Because when you become a member of PVC, what you're saying is, is I want to come underneath and come beside, rather, the, the, these elders as they lead us in how God is leading us. We are accountable to God for those who God puts in our care but we don't know if you want to be under our care unless you say, I want to be a member. That's why if you've been coming for a while and you haven't joined, what are you waiting on? Why, why don't you join and come and, and put your name on the table and say, I, I want to covenant together. I want to be a part of this body. I want to serve. Say, I want to tell you something. You can't meet your full potential in service without being a member. Because in being a member, it means we're all on the same page. It means that we know that we're thinking the same thing. We believe the same thing. We're going the same way. Everybody's in a boat with a paddle and we're all just rowing. And we're all rolling the same way, imperfectly, but we're still going. And when you become a member, what, that's what you're saying. And I, I think that without formal membership, you'd have a hard time obeying these decrees here in these four verses. Notice how Peter closes. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What should motivate elders is this. Not financial profit, not perks, not extra vacation time, not position, not power, but being rewarded by the chief shepherd himself. By the way, did you notice who this chief shepherd is? Folks, it ain't me. It ain't me. It's Jesus. Elders are under shepherds because Jesus is the chief shepherd. You know, people ask me, so who runs PVC? People ask me that. Who runs PVC? I am not being over-spiritual when I tell them Jesus Christ runs PVC. But he does it through the leaders that he's put in place, namely the presbyteros, the episcopos, the poimen, the elders, the bishops, the overseers. And so long as those elders are following Jesus, we have a mandate to follow those elders, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. When they don't follow Jesus, then we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, not sister, hey, brother, um, we, we, we see this, and you said this, but the Bible says this. Can we talk about that? You do it graciously, and we walk alongside because we're not perfect, right? We're going to mess up. So we all submit to the Word of God in Scripture. 
My conclusion is this. You cannot profess to love Jesus and have disdain for his church. You cannot love Jesus and have disdain for his church. You can be disappointed that church leaders act a certain way. You can be disappointed that a business meeting or a member meeting got like that. I mean, I've been disappointed in some of those. I can't believe that. But you recognize the faults. You acknowledge the church is not perfect. But if you love the chief shepherd, you must love his body too. If you love the chief shepherd, again, there's nothing called churchless Christianity churchless Christianity. So let me ask you this, friends. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? In John 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. what he said. It wasn't, if you love me, keep my commandments. It was, if you love me. My child, if you really love me, why don't you do what I said? Why don't you obey what I said? And then I'll ask you this. Do you love his bride? Do you love the church? Oh, I hope you do. I hope you she messes up, I hope you still love her. When your wife messes up, don't you still love her? When your spouse messes up, don't you still love her? You know why you love her? Because you committed to her. You know why you love her? Because you covenanted yourself to her. So we gather this morning in Jesus' name because the blood that Jesus shed made us a church. Jesus came to rescue his people from their sins. Are you a Jesus people? Let me ask that in closing. Are you a Jesus people? Have you been born again? Well, the Bible says if you've not been born again, Romans 2 says that the wrath of God is being built up for you. Every time you sin, cha-ching, 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 and that wrath is being built up, and one day you'll stand before God, and the full of that wrath will be poured on you. That's why the gospel is called good news, because the good news is is that Jesus came and took the wrath. Amen? He came and lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve, but you must repent of your sin and you must believe on him alone. And when you do, you now are a Jesus people. You have peace with God. You get in the baptistry, you tell us all, my faith alone is in Christ alone. And man, you start walking with us. You start growing with us. So church, pray. Look at these passages we looked at today. I know I went a little long, but I missed last week, so I had some extra time. No, I'm just kidding. But, I, I know, but thank you for being here just a little long because this is really, really important. Really, really important that we get this down. Please don't let this be the end. Look at these passages, pray about them, and pray for me, pray for Doug, pray for David, and pray for God to raise up other men in the years ahead to come alongside and serve in this capacity. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this time today, for giving us such a a rich reminder that Jesus, we cannot say we love you and not love your bride. Lord, we know that there's spots and there's wrinkles and there's inconsistencies. Lord, I I just thank you for your church. Such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful reality. Lord, may we be committed to a biblical structure here at PVC. Lord, may our elders, David and Doug and myself, may we be marked by service. May we be marked by washing feet. May we be marked by loving and caring and feeding and protecting and nourishing this flock. Lord, we do it all because one day you're going to appear, Jesus, in that unfading crown of glory. May that be our motivation, not power, not profit, not perks, and not people. If there's someone in this room, Lord, as we sing this song, God, would you convict their heart? Lord, for we all need to be saved if we've not been saved. We all recognize how good the gospel is. 
The good news is not as good if we don't know the bad news, that we need to be saved. So Lord, I pray if there's someone here among us that has never been saved, Holy Spirit, that you would save them. You would help them make that public, that we could walk alongside them and nurture them, ultimately pointing them to you and modeling you to them in every way. Lord, we love you. What a joy it is to serve this precious body in your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, let's sing together.